Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on ESN. My guest this week is Chris Schofield, a letter carrier with Canada Post with a penchant for photography. How's it going, Chris? Uh, it's going pretty good. So uh, we'll, we'll start with the job. Okay. You, you're a, a mailman. Yeah, I've uh, been doing that for 11 and a half years. Wow. That's a that's a tenure. You're not you're not a terribly old person. No, I'm uh, just forty. So do you get you get benefits after a while? Uh, yeah, you have benefits and pension. Yeah, and and stuff. I but. had a, a one of my good friends. His dad was a mail carrier for the United States Postal Service for basically his whole life, and okay. every year he took his bonuses in stock. And when he retired, he was rich. Mm, we don't have that option. We don't get <laughs> we don't we don't get bonuses anymore. Since the advent of Amazon, I don't think you know. With when the whole shipping wars picked up, I don't think the USPS is worth as much as it was in those days. But anyway, you're in Canada though. Yeah. What and um, you work out of Calgary? Yes. What's the population there? Uh just over a million like 1.2 and how big is your route um 500 and something addresses and do you do this on foot or in vehicle uh it's on foot so okay so So, i have yeah yeah, describe a day to me um go in in the morning and you have your mail that you have to sort to your route um and then you have your packets and your parcels and you got to sort those in accordingly as well and put your flyers together. Um, however many sets you have one day, it might be one, some days it might be 12 and put those into the spots according where you're supposed to go. And then you tie your mail out into the appropriate bags. And then there's a driver that will drive them out to your relay boxes and you have your carry with you and you take that to your first box and just pretty much follow the mail until you're done. So do you have pretty much the same route year after year? Um, it changes after every few years. They do restructures due to changes in uh, mail volumes and the like if there's been a lot of infills because some of the areas there's a lot of older houses that get torn down and one goes down and four or five go up yeah so they just they try to make it every they calculate it so like every minute of your day is accounted for and it's a 480 minute day so i I can't do the math how many hours is that eight eight oh so so pretty much a minute yeah, but like every step is accounted for, every gate and every stair and all that stuff is is all accounted for. Accounted for like that does that affect your pay? No, it's just incorporated. That's how they design the routes and how long they're going to be and then with that mixed with the volume of mail when they do volume counts. Huh. And do, then that's how they design the routes. So they design the route and then you're expected to be able to do this in the exact number of minutes they determine it should take? Or do they customize that to the carrier? No, they give it to you as how the corporation expects you to do it. And um, you you tend to tweak it to, to make it work a sure. bit better. Is, uh, is Canada Post government run or is that... Yeah. Entire, okay. Yeah, it's a... It's a well, it's a crown corporation, but which I is I don't even know how the U.S. Postal Service works anymore. So, yeah, like it's a it's a government job essentially, but we're self sufficient, so we'd get no taxpayer money. Okay. So, yeah, like we take care of ourselves with with our own like the things like the stuff we sell and all that. Sure. Stuff. So, have you gotten to know people on your route over the years? Uh, yeah, well, this route I've only been on since March because they just, it was the start of a restructure that implemented, but yeah, I've gotten to know a few people. Yeah. So stop and chat with a few people and, uh, talk to the secretary at the school, 
and they let me use the washroom if I need to. So <laughs> that's a good, uh, a good, a good plan to have, I would think. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm currently living just outside of uh, city limits, which means I have weird schedules for mail carriers. All my mail always comes like right before 5 p.m., whereas a two minute walk away, it's always there by noon. Um, okay. It's, it's kind of weird, but I noticed that we had the same carrier every day, which when I lived inside the city wasn't true. Uh, so I, I made friends with her and I noticed like looking out my window, the dogs would go nuts. So I'd go to see what was up and it would be the mail carrier and our mailboxes across the street. And I'd watch her. And anytime I was getting a shipment of coffee beans, she would stop and she'd like take a long sniff of the package. <laughs> so I left her. I left her a bag of coffee beans with a bow in the mailbox. She was super happy. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I feel like, so a lot of my favorite people in my life ended up becoming mail carriers and have done it for probably as long as you have now. Okay. Uh, me and my friends are all in our late 30s, early 40s. And uh, and one guy, a, a super talented artist, super smart guy, all he wanted after college was to be a mail carrier. What is the appeal to it? The appeal of it to you? Um, for me, I think it's one, it's the first job I've able to stay at for longer than two years um, without wanting to just run away or explode or whatever. I just, I, I think it's, I just can't work inside very well and with bosses hovering and stuff so it's pretty much you're on your own for most of the day and i think that's the main appeal for it for me yeah that that seems to fit with the people i know who have done it yeah and i get to just listen to podcasts for a long time yeah. so i have like my walking time is anywhere between three to four and a half hours depending on how heavy the day is so i got about that much time of podcast listening so I get through quite a bit. Do you wear like a, an Apple Watch or a Fitbit or anything? Uh, no, I just have my my iPhone. Which do you, does it? Count, do you count your steps? Yeah, it counts my steps. I have um, pedometer plus plus running. Yeah. And so, yeah, it counts my steps from there. So. And what is an average step day for you? Um, around twenty two thousand to twenty five thousand. That's a lot of steps. Yeah, maybe maybe go, some people think that's normal, but to me, that's a lot of steps. I go through a lot of shoes. <laughs> yeah, I bet. About every six weeks. Yeah. What kind of shoes do you wear? Um, lately, I've been wearing the Hoka 1-1. I have no um, idea what that is. They're these, they're running shoes with like really thick soles and they're nice and cushioning. I got like a mild case of plantar fasciitis, so my heels hurt a lot and and stuff so they're really nice and cushioning and they're popular with runners and lately with a lot of the posties in the area that i work in so posties yeah i wonder if that's a a canadian term it might be like mounties but, and posties huh yeah i've never really thought about that yeah it's sort of what we call ourselves it's just posties huh i haven't heard that so maybe it is or maybe i just don't hang out with a lot of uh postal service people here yeah yeah possible all right so so you've got a job that that i think you would say fits your personality yeah uh it works for you it, uh yeah it pays my bills at at what point you've had your struggles with mental health yes when when did this start for you what was your first diagnosis and when was it uh my first diagnosis was when I was 35 so five years ago wow. and um, but now that I know what the stuff is that I'm struggling with and looking back at like school records and stuff like that all this stuff was quite obvious back then but just growing up with you know family issues and moving around a lot and and stuff uh, a lot of it just got you know, thrown on that, like that's the reason why. And so I just sort of fell between the cracks. What was the symptom or the first mental illness diagnosed? 
Um, it was ADHD. Yeah. Along with um, social anxiety and depression. So when you when you were diagnosed with ADHD at the age of thirty five, were you happy to know, or were you more disappointed that you didn't know earlier? I was happy to know in the way that I actually knew what I was dealing with. So it wasn't like, you know, running around a forest with a blindfold on and trying to find my way out. Like I actually could have some direction finally, which was really nice. Did you, did you find as a kid, like going through school and everything, did you find ways to deal with what you could see in retrospect was ADHD? Um, so I had a lot of like my mom was really great. She helped out a lot with my schoolwork and and stuff. And even though she was in college at the time as well, but um, she helped a lot a lot with that. Um, in high school, um, in I grew up in close to Toronto, Ontario, and we had in high school we had basic, general, and advanced courses for high school. Yeah, and I took pretty much all the general level courses. And then I ended up falling into taking like auto shop and then more like art courses and stuff like that instead of sciences and what have you. So yeah, more hands-on stuff. It just seemed to work better for me. Do you think if you had been diagnosed and, and treated in school that things would be different? I often wonder that like the, there's a lot of times I sit around wondering, like, I wonder where I would be right now. But at the same time, I, I'm i mostly really fine with who I am now. And because what I went through kind of shaped me into what I am now. Yeah. Yeah, I feel pretty much the same. I, uh, I had the same uh, very late diagnosis earlier than yours. But yeah. And I, I didn't I wasn't mad. Like, yeah. I, I, I everything I am is a result of the experiences I've had and I don't I don't want to spend a lot of time thinking about who this other person would be were everything yeah. different. No, exactly. Like I might not even like that other person. Right. right. So I know people that are what I imagine that other person would be like and I don't like them, so why bother? Yeah, I, you know, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. So somewhere along the line you became what I believe you phrased as a vegan straight edge hardcore kid. Yeah. Um, that it kind of started in late high school. I started figuring out music that I, I enjoyed more and I just sort of started falling into like a lot of metal and hardcore stuff. And then, uh, one of my friends was, really into it as well and we started going to shows and stuff in the toronto area and it's just something that felt um a lot more real to me and just comforting in a way and i guess the community was really really awesome to be around yeah i guess so for me it was it was the punk rock scene which for me as a kid it was no longer the uh, like Sex Pistols kind of scene. It was a uh, very political. It was actually a, a heavily, heavily skewed towards the vegan straight edge. Uh, but uh, that wasn't my part of the scene. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely I felt a comfort at a wild punk rock show with <laughs> violence and booze and all of that that I didn't feel anywhere else. Yeah. And yeah. A lot of the. A lot of the hardcore and stuff that I was listening to or going to shows to see was really had a political yeah side to it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and that was, I mean, we toured with hardcore bands that, you know, wouldn't list themselves as punk rock, but they were just as political for the most part. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And often more emo, weirdly. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. So let's let's dissect this real quick, though. Um, I think I think vegan straight edge hardcore all runs together for you as like a particular scene. Was is veganism uh, something that just came with the scene or was that a personal choice? Um, Growing up, I 
never was a huge fan of meat in general. Yeah. And so I just sort of, I was a vegetarian for uh, like six years before I uh, cut out all the dairy and okay. like and stuff. I've never really eaten eggs. I had a bad reaction when I was a kid and I still can't eat eggs to this day. That's, um, that's funny because I, I, the fir- when I first went vegetarian, it was because of one bad lamb chop. Oh, really? <laughs> I didn't eat meat again for 17 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I was totally, I was vegetarian in total for 12. And then uh, vegan was six years throughout that. Yeah. And are so, you either anymore? No, I, I developed some health issues. Um, I became borderline anemic and sure. some other things sort of. And uh, the natural path I was seeing at the time was like, I'm not going to tell you to eat meat, but um, if you do, I would probably start with bison because it has one of the highest iron contents. Yeah. So I slowly started. And then that's when I discovered bacon for the first time. (laughs) Yep. That is the death of many a vegetarian. Yes. So, okay. Next, uh, straight edge. Yeah. Um, I guess I, well, let's, I, th- let's explain that for anyone listening who doesn't know what straight edge is. All right. Yeah. Just, uh, the abstaining from drugs, alcohol, sleeping around sort of that sort of, uh, yeah, pretty much sort of that is how I'd kind of sum it up. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. Um, <laughs> so how, how did that happen? Like, at um, what point does a young kid say, I don't want to have any of the fun everyone else is having. I want to do something different. Um, I'd never been drunk or stoned in my life. Um, I just, I, I saw a lot growing up as a kid um, that just turned me off of um, alcohol in general. And then I saw a lot of kids in school strung out on acid and what have you. And I was just like, yeah, I don't really care for that (laughs) and um it was sort of i already was so i just sort of when i fell into the hardcore scene i just sort of gravitated to that um label i guess for a while though i don't i don't really hold the label anymore but sure there were some really good straight edge bands throughout our our lifetime oh yeah no there definitely was um there were does fugazi still call themselves straight edge I don't know. I don't think, I don't think, uh, like Minor Threat, the band that Ian McKay had before Fugazi. Yeah. They were like one of the most well-known straight edge bands. Yeah. I don't know that Fugazi ever took that label. Yeah, I'm not sure. But, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, a few bands from the Toronto area that were straight edge bands. Stuff like, uh the swarm aka knee deep in the dead um they had a song called on our knees and it was like you know a 45 second song that just said i don't want it i don't want it i don't need it i don't need it <laughs> pretty much <laughs> and it always had a good sing along to it so i had a my band had a song called break free that our lead singer wrote about me <laughs> 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 the junkie in the band yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, like for me, like I saw my friends getting into it was mostly weed and I didn't like weed, so rather than be straight edge, I decided to just jump ahead, skip all the gateways and just go for the hardcore stuff. Uh that did that didn't work out well. I think you made a better choice. It's can't yeah. it, 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 finding a scene for someone who you know, does like you're a kid, you don't want to be a part of what's happening around you, so you abstain, but you don't know what straight edge is and you don't have a scene that, that you're comfortable in. That that had to be rough. Yeah, I had some kids in school who were like go back to their place after high after you know, after school and high school and uh we all skateboarded and stuff and they were like they're all breaking into the liquor cabinet and they're like, come on, have some. I was just like, no, it's fine. And it's like, well, you're not going to go to hell or anything. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, I know that. I just don't really care. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, like I, I knew the type. I honestly, I have nothing. I have n- no like innate rage that someone else wouldn't partake. It's never bothered me. And the, uh, in fact, the drummer in in the last band I was in that I got kicked out of for being a heroin addict, the drummer was a straight edge, and okay. and he he never judged me. I never felt any. There was no conflict between us. Like yeah. He would just be like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I have my ideals. You have yours. And it was always cool. But I imagine though, that if, if I wanted, if I wanted to, to avoid all peer pressure, finding a scene would make me feel so much more comfortable, actually feel good about those decisions instead of feeling left out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I always felt left out anyway. No, I generally did too. That's the thing with hardcore drugs is you end up by yourself either way. Yeah, I don't, I, that's kind of me now even, but <laughs> I, but yeah, I just, I enjoy my own company. I've got to learn how to do that and just hang out on my own. I don't hang out with a lot of people. Yeah. So, uh, I guess the last part would be hardcore. How, how would you describe, uh, the genre of hardcore? Um, very passionate, um, or back when I was into it and when I, uh, when I played in it and stuff, uh, it was very passionate and, uh, you put everything into it and sort of, uh, yeah. And really heavy music a lot of the time. Uh, some of it was, a lot of different subgenres within the hardcore scene. Right. So, like, you had more of your, like, the punk rock sounding hardcore stuff, and then you had more the metal sounding hardcore stuff. And, and technical hardcore, which is crazy amazing. Yeah. Like, bands like, I don't know, uh, Creationist Crucifixion, they were like a crazy technical band, and the Dillinger Escape Plan, they were also very. Yeah. I think technical. I think we played with Dillinger Escape Plan. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I seem to recall it was the virus and I don't remember who the second uh, opener was, but I'm pretty sure that happened in New York. I don't remember. Things are very much blurry, but I may be thinking of the Dillinger four out of Minneapolis, which were absolutely not technical or hardcore. (laughs) Yeah. But. Uh, yeah, like uh, technical hardcore has always struck me as the math rock of the hardcore scene. Yeah. To the point where I don't really enjoy it, but I can mm-hmm. marvel. Yeah, there's some stuff that's really good and some stuff it's good to listen to in short bursts. And there's other stuff that I can just listen to all day long. Would you say that you like it better live or recorded? Uh guess it depends on the band because some bands were just horrible live but um live i haven't been to a show in a long time i was gonna go and see converge play here just recently but i missed out on that but uh live it's it's amazing just the passion and just like watching people play instruments doing what they're doing while they're playing them yeah i agree with uh, that yeah i uh i think I never would have appreciated hardcore if I hadn't seen it live. Yeah. Like you said, it's a super passionate, very loud expression. Yeah. And to hear it on a record is often all you hear is the noise. Yeah. But to Um, see it and to feel it and to feel the crowd, you know, like sharing in the passion that that makes it understandable. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And especially if the, if the vocalist is really engaged and is passionate about what they're singing about and how much he, like if he talks a lot in between the songs and like talks about what the songs are about or whatever, it's really, you know, it can raise the hairs on the back of your neck sometimes. If you can hear him. Yeah. Well, like, I, <laughs> yeah. Like, I, yeah. I, hate it, or, I hate it when singers stop to talk in, in rooms with really bad sound systems. Yes. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm used to like a lot of like basement shows or, community center shows where it was just like a PA and there was, that was the only thing that was mic'd and the rest of it was just 
the amps and the drummer. Not the ideal time for a heart to heart with the audience. No, not always. <laughs> but um, a friend of mine he, um, at that Converge show that I missed, uh, it's a coworker of mine. He was working at the festival and he was in the green room uh, for Converge. And he went down and got to see them play. And he's never seen a hardcore band play. And he's just like, wow. <laughs> that was, uh, oh, gave me a new appreciation for it. So, Did you make and, him bring earplugs? Uh, I think he probably brought his own. I think anyone our age has probably learned by now. Yeah, or you'd hope so anyway. <laughs> All right. So I have two more topics I want to hit before the top three. I forgot okay. to ask you if you're ready for the top three. Uh, yeah, I, okay, I did figure that out. <laughs> good deal. So the way that I found you was actually through Instagram. Yeah. And the pictures that you were posting there, um, amazing landscapes and some uh, still life photography. This I, I had assumed seeing these that that was your day job. These are really good. So how did you get into photography? Um, I started... Originally back shooting in high school, so the early 90s, and I had a dark room and stuff, but um, never could really figure out what I was wanting to shoot. Like I would shoot skateboarding stuff and then like try to be artsy and shoot, you know, still life stuff or whatever, and then learning different techniques in, in school. And uh, then... After high school, I moved around a bunch, and I wasn't able to set up my darkroom again and kind of fell out of photography for a number of years. And then once I moved out to Calgary uh, in, well, it was many years actually after I moved out here, um, I bought my first digital SLR and started getting back into it and taking pictures again. And just started falling in love with things again. And uh, there was one Easter weekend that I went out and that's when I started figuring out what I wanted to shoot. And that's a lot of the abandoned structures in, in the prairies, uh, sort of east of Calgary. And it's just, you think coming from Ontario and stuff, you'd want to go into the mountains all the time, but I actually find it a lot more peaceful and just I stand in awe while I'm just standing in this huge open sky and finding these abandoned structures and it's just, you know, very fulfilling feeling. You, uh, um, you like desolation. Yeah. Isolation and, and desolation. Yeah. Yeah. I, there's a, one of your photos, it's actually a video of like a, an old farmhouse and your uh, title on it is The Silence is My Favorite Part. Yes. I, yeah, I, can, I can appreciate that. Yeah. Um, there's, there's days I'll be out driving around uh, for eight hours and I might see another car. But... It's just, I'll be at a place and there's not even birds or anything. It's just dead silence. There's no wind or anything. And it's just, it's glorious. So what do you do with these photos? Um, I'm currently working on a collection of my abandoned works. I'm not exactly sure what I'm calling it, but I have a show sort of my first actual solo show coming up in late October, early November at a sort of coffee wine bar gallery in Calgary. Nice. And um, I'm going to have between 15 and 20 pieces up That's for that. That's exciting. Yeah. These are way better than the people that usually show her in the coffee houses around here. So, yeah, it's the first time I'm doing something like that. I've had a few pieces up in sort of large group shows yeah. and um, it's been pretty well received, but this is the first time I'm doing something. It's going to be a six month uh, solo show. So I've been just spending the last little while doing a bunch of edits and uh, getting stuff ready for printing. Cool. Will you send me uh, 
uh, list of the shots that you display in the show? Yeah, I totally will. I, I, if I have the cash, I might want to buy one from you. Okay. I'd love a print. Um, all right. So the other topic on my list, y- y- you used to race rally cars. You have yeah. it for a while, you said, but. Yeah. Um, uh, rallies different, but it's, uh, tell me what it is first. I, um, I kind of have the Wikipedia overview, but it's driving on usually gravel roads, uh, and they're shut down to the public. Uh, you get to, you do reconnaissance. Well, in Canada anyway, and most of the world, uh, we do the reconnaissance run sort of the day before. And that's when you write your notes for the road and it, looks like a bunch of gibberish to people but it's sort of the description of the road coming up a and rally your co- shorthand yeah pretty uh-huh. much um describing like the degree of corner coming from one being the tightest to six being wide open um how many meters in between each corner and the crests in um if it's like a flat crest which means you just don't lift and you just fly over the top of it. And uh, so you write that, and then the next day it's uh, flat out from the start of the road to the end of the road, and the races are... uh, The regional ones are anywhere like between 100 to 120 kilometers long, um, broken up into stages and transits, and then service. You go to service, which I guess like the pit for 20 minutes to 40 minutes, and then you go back out and then the national ones are 180 to 250 kilometers long. And then the cars are modified, but still road legal, right? Yeah. All the cars are, are road legal. Like you have to have license registration insurance on the cars. What kind of modifications happen though? Uh, can be pretty much anything from like, cars that are just have upgraded suspension like all of them have to have roll cages according to the current specification unless your car was built according to the specification when your car was built pretty much and then you have to have your race seats and then um from there it goes suspension is free like you can do suspension in production class and um and then from there there's like your modified stuff like there's the two-wheel drive open which can do almost anything you want engine wise and you know get massive horsepower and stuff up to like a certain liter of engine like i can't remember exactly what it is but the common choice is like the two liter engines or now like the 1.6 liter uh ford fiestas or Uh, there's now the one liter turbo Ford Fiestas. What, what, what's the, what's an ideal type of car for this type of track? Um, it depends on, it really depends. Like I had, my car was a 87 Toyota Corolla. It was a rear wheel drive. Um, it was way too much fun. (laughs) And, but like I would, there's a lot of times where I would beat and other two wheel drive cars would beat the Subarus and Mitsubishis racing. Wow. And it's just, it's not always the cards, you know, you got to learn to drive. And, um, you know, I think starting in a two wheel drive car is the smartest thing you can do because you actually learn about momentum and stuff. And then from there, then you bring it up to the all wheel drive stuff and faster stuff where, you know, the top cars have like over 400 horsepower and all wheel drive turbos with um, sequential uh, shifting. Gear. Yeah, like yeah. just push pull shifting and stuff. Um, so I watched the, the video you sent that was like a, an over the shoulder view of you doing a rally course. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, it one looked, of the. It looked like the steering wheel was really like loose steering is that just me uh yeah i my car didn't i took the power steering out of my car okay um one it was it was just 
for maintenance purposes and it was leaking and then I found if I had to change the alternator belt I'd have to take the power steering <laughs> belt off so um, it was just easier and so I that's not a standard a mod no a okay. lot of cars still keep the power steering but so you feel everything in the road but um, that's something I really like the feel of anyway yeah well you were good at it. it it made me think maybe that's what rally cars do yeah, uh, the power steering, the steering wheel moves a little bit less. So, but I really enjoyed it. I won uh, two of the Western Canadian two wheel drive championships and was on a couple overall regional podiums and even led a rally once. Nice. For a while. If I'd have, if I'd have known you, my grandma left me. I, I don't remember exactly how I acquired it. I don't believe she exactly willed it to me, but. Um, she had like an 85 Corolla with a total of like 29,000 miles on it. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it had one dent that, cause she had backed into a tree, get, leaving her own driveway. Yeah. Other than that, it had only ever been driven to like church and back. Oh, wow. <laughs> For like 20 years. So it was in, uh, it was in amazingly good shape. If I'd have known you, I would have offered it to you. Yeah. Yeah, there's a huge cult following after those cars, mainly in the drifting scene. But they're just, huh. they're I had no idea. Yeah, they're just, they're. It's an extremely well balanced car, and it just, it did what you wanted. And the harder you drove it, the easier it was. So I just didn't lift very much, and just like I just had like 140 horsepower at the crank, so it was like maybe 115 at the wheels. And I think this one was an automatic, though. That would probably. Yeah, it wouldn't be so good, but that's something I'd be able to swap out. Sure. Oh man, I so my on my Audi TT, the uh, various parts of the uh, from everything from the clutch to the linkage has all started degrading. And yes, uh, uh, a previous guest on this podcast, Harold Chris Harold, um, he helped me change out the whole clutch, but now I'm dealing with all kinds of linkage issues and I am learning a ton on the way because yeah. I've stopped paying a mechanic to do this stuff and just started ordering parts and doing my own repairs. And this has actually been, I, my dad's a car guy. I like yeah. growing up, he, he can build cars. He used to work for Chrysler, all of this. And I just never learned a thing when I was a kid, but now I'm, I'm going back to him and cause he has all the tools. And yeah. I'm actually learning how cars work. This is kind of fun. Yeah, I kind of, I fell into learning how to fix cars out of necessity growing up. Right. In like a single fa single parent family in living off of disability. And then we had a Chevette that was not great. So just kind of, that's why I took, one of the reasons why I took shop in class and just learned how to fix it. Nice. All right. Well, that brings us to the top three. Okay. Back and forth, one at a time. You get to yep. go first. Okay. Um, my first one would be these things called earbud enhancers. And okay. they uh, they go over top of like your, like I have the Apple Lightning headphones. Yeah. And they just go over top of them and they uh it's really cool because they they're made for runners and they when they go in then they don't fall out and um and they're kind of like noise isolating in a way because they're like these silicone things that go in and are these the earbuds yeah okay why you are b-u-d-s right and uh, with that, along with um, a binder clip that I uh, clip on to my shirt, and then I run the cord down my shirt, um, I haven't had a pair fall out ever in the last three years of using these. And it makes the headphones last a lot longer, too. Because I used to go through Apple earbuds every, like, three months because I use them, like, six or seven hours a day. And yeah. Now they're lasting like almost a year. These just became a one-click checkout item for me because I, I've i been using a, a Lightning to 8th inch adapter yeah. 
because I just, I haven't been able to justify getting AirPods yet. Yeah. Um, but the, the default Apple ones, they don't stay in my ears at all. Oh, Even just sitting still, they don't stay in my ears. I have mm-hmm. weird ears. Um, but I have some earbuds that work really well, but I've never found a way to add what's necessary to actually make. This is very exciting to me. Yeah. And they're super cheap too. Yeah. So like, yeah, like 12 bucks is what I just paid for yeah. in my one click purchase. And they come in different sizes and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's been really, really good. I tried the other ones with the little silicone tips that you can try, yeah. but then if you lose that silicone tip, then the earphone is kind of useless. Right. But yeah, these things have been great. The stress levels have dropped so much with using these because like constantly trying to fight with keeping them in, especially when you have a, <laughs> your, your toque on in the winter. Yeah. Yeah. I live in Minnesota. I understand earbuds yes. in the winter. Yes. Nice. All right. That's a great pick. So my first one is going to be an iOS game. It's been a while since I've had a game kind of take over my uh, free time. And this is what at first seemed like a really stupid game. Uh, It's called Leap On. It is from the people who make uh, Super Stickman Golf which is how I find out about most of my games is from their in-app ads. Because I, I don't get out much. But um, the game... Let me see. I have to find my, my tab. Hmm. Gotcha. All right. So it's a, it's a planet. You're, a, you're like a, an asteroid of some sort. And you're, you're, you're rotating around a planet. And you have to, every time you go towards the planet, you have to bounce off one of the other uh, uh, orbiting objects. And when you bounce, you can just press the screen. So there's only one control is tapping the screen. And that will rotate you clockwise. And if you're not tapping, you're just bouncing straight up and down. And then you basically have to maneuver through all of these obstacles and get all these power-ups and you just keep going around and around and every full orbit your point multiplier goes up by one so by the time you get up to like a point point multiplier of nine every small object you smash is worth nine and okay then like uh smashing one of the larger planets which you can only smash from the bottom and not the top that's worth like all of a sudden 90 points instead of 10. It's um, it, it's one of those perfectly designed games that you start off, you get 30 points. You're like, I can do better. You get 40 points. And then next thing you know, you get 700 points and then you're hooked. Then you nice. have to keep beating your high score. These are, these are the games that fascinate me psychologically. The ones that I want to figure out, how do you engineer this kind of game? It has to have the right learning curve that's not too easy to start with but not too hard to make you give up right away and the, yeah. like let you and a way like the gameplay where you die and you just want to immediately play again those are they're yeah. dangerous for me but i also really appreciate yeah i hear you so yeah that's, i'm gonna have uh, to check that out leap on with an exclamation point from noodle cake studios cool yeah i'll definitely check that out all right what's your second pick um I like coffee a lot. Who doesn't? Exactly. Um, And I'm out on the road a lot or like doing my photography stuff. I'm not near anywhere. And if I am, it's usually like small town gas stations or something where the coffee was made like eight hours ago. And um, so I found this. uh, It's a like a French press coffee travel mode like a yeah french press tra- uh, coffee travel mode and um it's really great um because you can make uh your coffee on the side of the road or like if i always have like a stove with me to boil some water um so i'll boil some water and then four minutes later i'll have coffee and um i'll just send you the link to that perfect all right um 
And uh, I've been using these. I got rid of my drip coffee maker uh, after a little while after owning this. And they're just great. Um, it's consistent coffee flavor all the time. It's all stainless steel, um, super easy to use and to clean. Um, if you don't have a way to boil water and you're, say, like on a road trip, you just have coffee grounds with you, you can just go in, inside and get hot water from somewhere. Sure. And uh, it saves a lot of money on road trips for with coffee. And then you pretty much always know what your coffee is going to taste like. Yeah. I have something similar to this. Um, like the entire inside of it becomes the press. Yeah. I'm trying to see the... That's pretty much what this is. Like, yeah. No, it is yeah. exactly like this. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I really, really like them. I use it every day for... I bring it to work in the morning and it keeps it warm for a long time, like... I'll make it at seven o'clock in the morning, and if I don't finish my coffee before I start my my route, and I come back, um, it's still lukewarm. Like you know, six hours later. Yeah, this looks like it's probably even a way better insulated uh, storage container than mine is. I, yeah, it's they're great. I really could recommend them to anybody. They're really awesome. Nice. I basically only use mine for avoiding hotel room coffee makers. Yes, that's another. I, really... I use the coffee maker to make the hot water. <laughs> yes, I've, I've I've done that a lot too. Nice. All right. So my second pick is possibly the greatest tool I have ever found. It was one that I actually learned about while at my dad's house removing um, the eight P twenty five. Uh, screws that hold on the shifter mount. Okay. And he's like, oh, I have the perfect tool for this. And it's this Black & Decker gyro screwdriver. They call it uh, Black... Yeah, that's exactly what it's called, the Black & Decker gyro screwdriver. So it's a, it fits in your palm, and like the entire... Uh, the electrical part of the driver fits in your hand, and then the screw or the driver head sticks out and you press in with your palm and that activates it and then whichever way you turn your hand that's the way it's going to rotate okay. and it depends wherever you start you know you could be upside down just press with your palm and turn to the left and it's going to unscrew oh nice and it's powerful enough you can drill with it i'm not talking like stone wall drilling but uh, for basic uh, wood and and drywall mounting stuff, it works as a drill as well. It's uh, just a four watt driver. This thing is insanely handy because it's so short and so small. Even like the electric little screwdriver tools I have uh, don't fit into a lot of these spaces. And using yeah. a whole handheld drill would never work. This thing, you just reach it in anywhere. When you when you press your palm in, a light comes on, so you can see exactly how you're gonna fit it in. Just That's the slightest, awesome. and and it changes speed based on how far you rotate too. Oh, so nice. if you just rotate slightly, you get an, and then you go, you know, 45 degrees further, and it's, and it will drive it straight in. Yeah, no, it, it is. To... So I bought one. I had to get one. Found it on Amazon for probably 50 bucks. Okay. I'm going to have to take a look at that. Absolutely worth it. Around the home, I can't imagine yeah. anyone would not find a perfect use for this. Yeah, I'm doing some minor like home renovation stuff here and uh, changing out some stuff in the bathroom, like the counter and the vanity and stuff like that. So uh, getting some of the screws out from underneath and mm -hmm. we're not trying to get the drill in there to use the drill instead of a manual screwdriver has been a bit difficult. Yes. Yes. In fact, I recently did repairs under a bathroom sink, which turned out to be way harder than under a kitchen sink. Yeah. And looking back, if I had had this then, things would have been very different. I'm looking forward to taking a look at that. All right. So what is your third pick? Uh, my third pick is it's an it's an app this time. Cool. And um also related to photography stuff, um, it's called Motion X GPS. Yes. And uh, I really 
it's awesome because you don't need like a lot of the places I go to don't there's no cell service and you're just so this uh you can record your um your tracks so your route or whatever you take and then you can take that and drop it onto like google earth or um, google maps or whatever and you can drop waypoints along the way and take pictures and add those um and i find that really helpful to be able to uh mark some of the locations i've been to um and how to get to them um it's how is this 279 is that even a price tier i thought it had to be 299 i'm on the u.s page sorry okay but still for three bucks that's a good deal yeah no it's i've i've been using it for years and then also like um i there's going back to the rally stuff there's another type of rallying which is uh tsd rally or navigational rally which is done in um just street cars generally and it's done all below the speed limits and um i organize one of these up in alberta and uh you like you're given you give the competitors a route book and they got to find their way through the route and stay on time and they're given average speeds that change and stuff and then there's checkpointers along the way that take your time as you pass and you have to pass the checkpointers that you don't know where they are at the exact second you're supposed to. And then, but for the organizational side of things, I use this as well to one map out the course that we're doing and then drop waypoints for where the checkpointers are. And then I'm able to give them exact um, GPS coordinates so that they can use whichever map they have to find the GPS coordinates. And it's been just, made my job so much easier so um using was, that what was the acronym for or the initialism rally tds tsd it's TSD. time time speed distance <laughs> that is hilariously complex it's it's a lot of math for a co-driver <laughs> well while you're driving um i've i never have co-driven because i just couldn't figure it out so i drove <laughs> That's a lot. Wow. Okay. So Motion X GPS. This looks. Uh, it it serves a purpose that I don't presently need, but it looks amazing. It's well rated. Uh, the the UI is not awesome, but it's it works really well for what you need it for. Yeah, it looks like they tried too hard in some areas, but yeah, it has an Apple Watch app. I'm wondering. Yeah, I don't have one. I don't have an Apple Watch yet, so. Yeah. Um, I haven't got to try that, but I just saw that when I was shows you, know, you getting maps the and time. You can mark waypoints from your watch. Well, that would be handy. Yeah, looks like actually a really good interface to it. All right, cool. So my last pick is going to be, oh, I love Anchor products like A N K E R. Yeah, me too. <laughs> So I recently got the Universal Magnetic Car Mount, which is pretty much self-explanatory. Um, it's a small, like, a, it's a little ball about an inch in diameter that you mount to any place on your dash with a relatively uh, flat surface. Yeah. And then you let it dry there. For, you put some rubbing alcohol on it and it starts the adhesion process and you let it dry for 24 hours and then it just it stays supposedly you can remove it with a piece of floss and a couple of more drops of rubbing alcohol haven't tried that yet but uh, then you snap on this um, plate kind of so it rotates around the ball on a ball joint and you can you know, tilt it any way you want to. And then you get a flat little magnet that you apply to your phone and it works really well, like under a thin case. You can also apply it to the back of a thicker case yeah. and that you can just snap onto this mount at any time, move it in any direction, works with any digital device that has a flat back to it. And it is pretty amazing. I'm loving it. Yeah. I have something similar. It's the, I don't know how to pronounce it. The, S-C-O-S-C-H-E brand. Skosh. Yeah. I've always said Skosh. I don't know. But um, I have two of theirs, and I just love them. It's so nice. I just just have, like, my iPhone, I just have the leather case, and I just have this 
I didn't even stick the thing to my phone. It's just under the case. Yeah. And then I just have, I can just throw my phone on there and it just sticks. It's never fallen off. I'm searching for this gauche version right now. I want to see what that looks like. Everyone's going to be laughing because it's probably like scoshy or something. I don't know. We can both be wrong. Yeah. Okay. Mine has, like, I have the suction cup one, um, which I got when I went on vacation so I could have something in a car when I was on vacation. But I have the stick on one. Yeah. And it's it's been great. Yeah. See, I, the, the, my Audi has, this really curvy dash okay and the windshield is angled steeply mm-hmm. so anything that gets mounted in a place where i can actually reach it is like right in the upper half of the windshield okay and so i had to find something that would mount in a very small area it looks yeah. like this would have worked to the uh the magic mount one uh mm-hmm. i broke the vents on my AC trying to use one of the vent mounted types. Yeah. And then the one that I had finally gotten to work despite breaking my, the vent, uh, like the vines blinds on it. Um, then they got, you know, iPhone six plus and nothing fit anymore. So yeah, yeah, I will link this magic mount as well. This looks cool. Yeah. Magnetic phone mounts. I feel like everything should have more magnets in it these days since they don't yeah. like ruin everything anymore. Yeah, I don't know how it's going to work with the rumored new glass iPhone. But yeah. But it, it, how could it not work? I mean, you're yeah. adding a plate to it, so. Yeah. I guess like if you're, if uh if it does have like the wireless charging. Oh yeah. Yeah, that I would guess. be a consideration, but Mhm. <sighs> Rumors. Yeah, we'll f- figure something out. We'll deal with it when it happens. Yeah. All right. Well, let's tell people where they can find you online. Um, I know that you are on Instagram at Christopher Schofield. Sch- 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 <laughs> Christopher Schofield Photography. Yes, it's uh, Christopher with a K and an F. Yes. K-R-I-S-T-O-F-E-R. Yep. S C H O F I E L D, but that link will be in the uh, in the show notes, and then on Twitter at Isa Ista Photo. Yeah, I S T A P H O, or however you saw photo. I'm <laughs> brain farting right now. <laughs> yeah, um, um, and then I have a website too, which is just um, istaphoto.com. Perfect. Um, I don't haven't done a whole lot on Twitter lately. That's I I do a bit of storm chasing and then uh I use it a lot during then. Um and then during some uh when I'm at rallies and stuff. Yeah. Oh, uh, I haven't I haven't I used seen this website previously. This is beautiful. A lot of that works really old. I haven't updated it in a while. Well, I'll send you some samples of stuff that I'm working on. Are these cloud photos real? Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm doing. Uh, they're long exposures. Yeah. So I have a a 16 stop ND filter Damn. that I use. So it, like something that would be say two fiftieth of a second would end up being a four minute exposure. So I can do like four to eight minute exposures in the middle of the day. These are amazing. Nice work. Thanks. All right. Yes, everyone should go check out the uh, istaphoto.com website as well. Really good work. All right. Anywhere else you want to be found? Um, that's pretty much it. All right. Um, you can find like uh, the Christopher Schofield photography on Facebook as well, but I don't remember the link to that. I haven't updated that in a long time either. I will look that up. It'll be in the show notes. Awesome. All right. And I'm Brett Terpstra. You can find me at brettterpstra.com as well as here and Overtired, which will be coming back uh, the same day this is published. So go find that. And uh, and then I'm TT Scoff 
everywhere else. You can follow Systematic on Twitter at S-Y-S-T-M-C-A-S-T, Systemcast. And uh, you can join the Systematic community uh, where you can discuss um, topics. You can talk about guests behind their back uh, if they don't show up. And uh, throw in your own top picks at signup.systemcast.net. So thanks for being here, Chris. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. I really appreciate it. It was great. I've been yep. listening to your show pretty much since it started. Ah, thanks. This is the first first conversation I've had with a uh, a Canadian postal worker. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it seems <laughs> to be fair. Seems like it might it might be your only one. I don't know. It, it, it could be, but to be fair, you're much more than that. So I appreciate yeah. you coming by. And thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, and we'll see everybody in a week. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.